This episode is brought to you by the National Centre for Eating Disorders, the NCFED. Does eating rule your life? If you struggle with control of food, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you want to speak in confidence to someone who fully understands your relationship with food, contact Sam at the National Centre for Eating Disorders. You will find our details online or call 0845 838 2040. We know everything there is to know about eating distress and all our practitioners are properly trained. The first simple step is to have a no obligation assessment where you can speak freely in confidence to someone who understands and who will be able to tell you what is keeping you stuck. You will not need to do anything else if you simply want to think about what we have to say. If eating rules your life, Take that first brave step now and get in touch. 0845 838 during the week or look us up at www.eating-disorders.org.uk Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka The Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today it's me and I'm going to be talking all about support for carers who are supporting someone with an eating disorder. So this could be for families, friends, loved ones, anyone who knows someone in their life who has an eating disorder and is struggling to know what to do to help to support them. Now, this has been stimulated, this episode, from my own unexpected challenge recently where someone close to me is struggling with disordered eating. Now, working as a professional with clients is one thing because, you know, I've worked for many years with people with eating disorders, with their families, But when I'm working with a client or a client's family, I have emotional distance. I hopefully have more objectivity and it's easier to approach the support of the person with a calmer and healthier detachment. So anyone who's aware of the animal model will understand that, you know, perhaps when I'm in that role, it's a bit easier to remain as a dolphin or a St. Bernard. Now, if you are wondering what on earth I'm going on about, don't worry, I'm going to be explaining about the animal model shortly. Now, when we are dealing with a loved one who is close to us in the family and, you know, we really have a strong emotional relationship with that person, emotions are often running high and being able to stay in that more calm, detached state is not so easy. Now, I believe, though, that for whatever reason, life does throw us challenges. I don't always welcome these challenges, but obviously I feel that because of this experience that's come into my life recently, I obviously have more lessons to learn in fine-tuning my understanding of eating disorders, but also, really importantly, wholeheartedly stepping into this space with greater empathy and understanding from a carer's perspective. Now, I'm not going to talk on the podcast today about the specifics of the person's situation that's in my life. However, I am going to talk about the new Maudsley Animal Model, and I'm also going to go on and explore some of the nuances of putting this model practically into practice. 
because it is very challenging. And I think often we can understand the rational side of it. But, you know, again, when we are dealing with someone that we really love and emotions are running high, it is incredibly challenging. So let's talk firstly about the new Maudsley animal model. What is it? So when someone you love has an eating disorder or struggle with disordered eating, you can feel as a carer that you are desperate to fix the situation and make it better. Because I think as well, for human beings, when we see someone we love not eating, it seems fundamentally wrong against kind of just normal living and being human. So if you see someone in your life who's struggling, you might be feeling scared, angry, confused, and you might just wish you could just get in there and do something about it. And you might say to the person, you know, why can't you just eat normally? What are you doing? I'm really worried about you. And your words may seem to be futile because of the person's not really listening. They're not hearing hearing you. They're not acting on the words. And your loved one might seem possessed by a whole different person, you know, in a distant bubble that feels unreachable and detached from normality. So maybe as well, the bright, happy-go-lucky person that once existed has disappeared for now. And that can be really, really hard. But the new Maudsley Animal Model offers support for carers in supporting a loved one with an eating disorder. So it's been created by the eating disorder service at the Maudsley Hospital in London. So if you're in the UK, you probably have heard of this hospital. I know there are many listeners that are based all around the world, so you may have not heard of it. If you want to find out more, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. And also, if you literally Google it, if you put into Google the new Maudsley Animal Model Eating Disorders, you will get a wealth of information up, which is really, really helpful. So the model offers support for carers in supporting a loved one with an eating disorder. Now, it is targeted at supporting older teens to adults because younger people may need greater carer practical involvement. So generally, and this is, you know, I am really talking generally, we always need to look at the specifics of a person involved. But if someone is probably below 15 and they develop an eating disorder, often carers that have to be really quite actively involved, They might be sort of preparing meals, really taking quite an active role in care. Whereas if someone is a bit older, carers are encouraged more to take a bit more of a back step, back seat from the eating disorder, still to be very much involved and supportive and active. But the emphasis is putting the motivation for change on the individual rather than the parents kind of coming in and doing a lot of that work. So, but it really depends on the individual, you know, it's not set in stone. So the model recognises that carers understandably struggle to know what to do for the best if someone's struggling and they can be drawn unwittingly into keeping their loved ones stuck. And this can often be with the most honourable of intentions because I think with the best will in the world, why would you know how to support someone with an eating disorder unless you have really had first-hand experience of it? And it is very different from the support that we might give if someone was suffering from a physical illness or historically how we might have stepped in as carers, loved ones to support someone when they are in distress. So the model also acknowledges that carers can have the most profound positive impact on supporting someone's recovery. After all, they know their loved one most intimately and spend a larger amount of time with them compared to a therapist or other professionals who are probably only seeing that person for a limited time every week. So I think it's so important to acknowledge 
parents, carers, loved ones are such a vital resource because of they are part of creating the environment around the person. If that environment is supportive and warm and empathetic and, you know, really kind of helpful environment for change, it's really going to help shift that person on when they feel ready. And ultimately, the model aims to enhance communication between carer and sufferer while supporting motivation for change. So let's talk through the different animal metaphors. So firstly, we have the rhino. Now, the rhino is brimming with well-intentioned advice and direction towards their loved one. They're keen to impart wisdom and to tell the person what to do. This might be instructions around what to eat or how to gain weight or what they should be doing with their exercise. Now, anyone who's a rhino loves to fix and make things better. And the rhino approach may be someone's natural temperament. And this can be very beneficial in many life areas. You know, I think if we've got someone leading an expedition and we need wisdom and direct instruction, absolutely, the kind of rhino approach is needed. We don't want someone who is a bit more wishy-washy or not able to make decisions. So I'm not saying that the rhino is not valuable in some aspects of life, but with an eating disorder, it's not so helpful. But also the rhino approach can be driven by a carer's understandable frustration, overwhelm, exhaustion and fear. Because if you're seeing your loved one struggling, not eating, maybe rapidly losing weight, you may want to step in and give advice and just to try and fix it because understandably you're feeling so anxious. The tricky thing is, is when someone with an eating disorder experiences the rhino, they are likely to lock horns and rebel against the rhino. And this is extremely frustrating for the well-meaning carer. Because as a carer, when you're pushing for change, the person with the eating disorder will likely defend their position and it can cement the ED behaviours more fully. Now, occasionally, if someone's feeling rhinoed, they might please their carer on the surface by complying with advice but rhino interactions tend not to lead to lasting change. And they can also lead to secrecy behind closed doors and hiding of ED behaviours. So you might feel that by being very directive, giving good advice, pushing, 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 that you're really doing the right thing, and it might seem as though the person is being compliant, but it's very likely that unless that motivation for change is genuinely coming from them, it might mean that they are sort of hiding things from you, kind of complying in public, pleasing you, trying to kind of show that they are taking steps, but they're not really actively involved and taking responsibility for the change themselves. And of course, that kind of change isn't very sustainable because ultimately someone's got to step into the place themselves where they make the decision and they are committing to change. The next animal animals are the kangaroo and joey so again very natural one to get drawn into as a parent the kangaroo sees the vulnerability and fragility of their loved one suffering now i think as well when we are parents and we've you know been bringing up our child from a very young age it's very normal that we would have had to kangaroo our child on many occasions so when they were falling down when they were upset We'd pick them up and we'd put them in the in the pouch, our little Joey in the pouch. We'd really take care of them, look after them, give them lots of nurturing. And of course, in many situations, that's entirely appropriate. 
However, with an eating disorder, we have to be really, really careful about that. When we kangaroo someone, we tend to wrap the person in cotton wool, protect them and keep them safe. And as when we kangaroo someone as well, we treat them perhaps as a much younger child. We give them the utmost care, the utmost comfort. And again, like I'm saying, it's a natural response as a parent to want to kangaroo and make your loved one feel better. But when someone with an eating disorder experiences the kangaroo, this is initially perhaps quite cocooning and helpful, but in time it can become smothering and overbearing. The sufferer can lose all self-confidence in their independence and can then retreat further into the bubble of the eating disorder into a childlike protective cocoon. Now, in these instances, unintentionally, the eating disorder can also also kind of start to provide a benefit. And I'm saying that within inverted commas here because of if you're really being kangarooed and you are scared about lots of things about adult life, being kangarooed can feel really nice and cocooning and protecting and it can be a way to avoid life situations that provoke anxiety and it can feel very fearful to leave this cocoon and to embrace adult life. So you can see perhaps in the short term a bit of kangarooing may be needed but you can see the dangers of kangarooing someone over the long term because actually that person will start to lose their confidence they'll start to feel more and more safe within the eating disorder and it can feel really really scary then to let go of it and to embrace adult life because of it's like a kind of life raft being in the pouch being kangarooed being looked after yeah can just feel very sort of seductive and appealing The next animal is the jellyfish. Now the jellyfish carer feels their emotions intensely. Of course, if your loved one is suffering, it's natural to feel a tidal wave of overwhelm and anxiety. Now, but what tends to happen with the jellyfish is they express these emotions openly and without barriers. Now the jellyfish is obviously struggling and is then communicating this message to everyone around them. But when the jellyfish is leaking out all this distress, upset, anger, anxiety, it creates a lot of distress in the home. And when experiencing a jellyfish outpouring, your loved one tends to hide their own emotions and they will withdraw from you because they don't want to burden you with their feelings when they can see that you're already struggling. So arguments, outbursts, emotions running high, All of these things can entrench the eating disorder behaviours further because the sufferer will cling to the safety of the eating disorder in the whirl of extreme emotions that are bubbling around. Now, this is not to say that carers cannot have intense emotions or cannot have emotional struggles. Of course, you're going to have these. It's just not helpful with this leaking out in the home. So it's important that as a carer, you get your own support too so that you can vent away from home, either whether that be in your own counselling or with a really good and trusted friend or with a support network. And then when you can have your vent, emotional vent, away from the home, it means that when you are back in the home and you're dealing with your carer, dealing with your loved one even, it enables you to be calmer and more supportive because you've kind of got that emotion out. Whereas if you don't have an outlet for that emotion, it's gonna be so close to the surface. So you're gonna find that you probably have big blow ups with your loved one 
over little things and it's so understandable because those emotions will be running so close to the surface and it's just I just want to really say it's so understandable because you're a human being and you're worried about your loved one and you're going to be vulnerable to doing this. So the next animal is the ostrich. Perhaps this is the easiest animal to conceptualize and understand. The ostrich buries his or her head deeply in the sand and hopes that the eating disorder problem will evaporate of its own accord. Now, this is not an effective strategy as often the sufferer is already ignoring their inner distress and torment, thinking I'm not ill enough to warrant help or actually I don't really have a problem. So the ostrich's denial of the problem actually entrenches it further and the sufferer can feel overlooked and isolated. So I want to say as well, it's a very understandable response to be an ostrich. If you have no clue how to support someone who's struggling, you may just really want to avoid it. As human beings, we do try and avoid painful situations and we don't want to make things worse. So again, it's really understandable strategy to try and cope but it's just to be really aware that if you're ignoring it, you're kind of giving the message that there isn't really a problem and let's all just kind of carry on. And that cannot be, that's not very helpful. Okay, let's move on to some helpful animals. So the dolphin, the dolphin is the animal type we really want to strive towards being. So the dolphin swims alongside offering warmth and support. He or she is actively present and encouraging whilst also offering breathing space. The dolphin stays calm and collected, provides a listening and non-judgmental ear. He or she asks open questions, validates progress made, and is attuned carefully to the sufferer's point of view. With the dolphin, a loved one feels supported and metaphorically held when in the company of a dolphin. There is understanding and connection with ground to step forward and take responsibility for recovery when the person feels ready. So that's the dolphin. The dolphin is hard to do, to be honest with you. We can often understand intellectually how to be a dolphin, but actually being a dolphin in the home when someone is struggling, that's a whole different thing. The other animal I want to talk about is the St. Bernard and I'm going to come more on to talk about how to really practically be a dolphin and a St. Bernard in a minute so don't worry I haven't forgotten that. So the St. Bernard, the St. Bernard dog is the ideal animal as a gives us a really great insight in how to handle our emotions. So the St. Bernard gives the optimal caring response because it's one of calmness, warmth, and compassion. This involves accepting and processing the pain resulting from what is lost through the eating disorder and developing reserves of kindness, gentleness, and love. The St. Bernard instills hope in the loved one that they can change, that there is a future full of possibility beyond the eating disorder, and the St. Bernard responds consistently and is unfailing, reliable, and dependable in all circumstances. The St. Bernard has a good antennae attuned to the welfare and safety of those who are lost, calm, warm, and nurturing. And one thing I want to mention as well, which is a new kind of collective group of animals, which I hadn't heard of before the animal model, but when I was doing a bit of research for this podcast, I realized this was an additional 
one that's added in, and that is the herd of elephants, which is quite interesting. So the herd of elephants as well is about saying that collaboration is key to the skills we are teaching. And so the elephant metaphor is added in about collaborative care. So it's like being a herd of elephants linking trunks and tails to jointly care for our loved ones. The carer works with a team of wise others to make decisions and provide care. And this illustrates the importance of including friends and family and gathering information from books and workshops. And it also underlines the importance of working with a wider support network, including your GP and a specialist care team. So again, I think that's just really, really helpful actually that that has been added in because of as a carer or a loved one or a friend, you shouldn't be doing this on your own. It's good to have the support of a wider network. So you feel like you've got a kind of team approach and it's not just one person carrying all of the burden. Okay, so let's talk a bit more now about how to practically be a dolphin or a St. Bernard day by day, because that is the hard job. And when you're deep in the trenches of supporting someone with an eating disorder, you might think, yeah, it's all very well being a dolphin or a St. Bernard. I kind of really like the idea of that, but how am I going to practically do it? And I think, excellent point. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about five ways to really do this and to put this into practice. So number one is grounding yourself daily. So in the most part, you will want to be the dolphin and the St. Bernard as a carer. You will have the absolute best intention to be the dolphin and the St. Bernard. But when someone you love is struggling, emotions will be running high. And it's very easy as a carer to become emotionally dysregulated because you're anxious, scared, overwhelmed, tired. It's natural to switch into rhino or jellyfish mode and add charge to the already turbulent waters. So you might find yourself saying things like, why aren't you eating? You're going to make yourself really ill. I'm really worried about you. What are you doing this to the family for? It's really natural that you will find those kind of words leaking out of you. So as we've talked about, it's not so helpful to get into rhino, jellyfish mode, etc. So to be able to stay more in a dolphin or St. Bernard place, it's imperative that you as a carer take time daily to ground yourself and do your own self-care. You need to fill your battery up so you are feeling resilient, you are feeling calm as is possible in these situations. So I would say try and start your day with warm and empathetic intentions. So take 10 minutes in the morning to journal. Remind yourself of why you want to be a dolphin or a St. Bernard. Get rooted in why you are modeling these skills for your loved one. And remind yourself as well of why persuading with logic, giving lots of direction, expressing lots of intense emotion, remind yourself why those things are not helpful. And I think with the best will in the world, this is really, really hard. But if you start your day with that groundwork, with that intention of putting yourself into that calmer, more peaceful place, it is more likely that your day is going to go a bit better in your interactions with your loved one. It won't be perfect. You will mess up. You are a human being. But if you have kind of done that baseline grounding work, 
it's going to make things a little bit easier. Number two, hangriness, irritability from your loved one, it's normal. So you might be kind of waking up thinking, right, I'm all ready to be this great St. Bernard dolphin. And then you're dealing with your loved one who's irritable, grumpy, doesn't want you even breathing near them. And that can be really, really, really hard because you can kind of be there with all your best intentions, but the person's just not responsive to you. Now, your loved one will be hangry, irritable, and unresponsive if they're not eating properly. The star brain is not great. Having a star brain is not a great place to be in because people become very rigid in their thinking. They become very intolerant to everything. Any engagement with the world takes a lot of effort because they have to focus a lot of energy on not eating. Sounds, smells, any stimulation can become really quite overbearing for them. They become much more easily irritated, much more angry and irritable than they would normally be because the focus has gone inwards on food. Now, it's so challenging to remain dolphin-esque when you're met with eye-rolling, critical comments and likely rejection. I would say to you, expect that this is going to happen, okay? If you're going in with the expectation that you are already understanding that this person has a starved brain, they are not in a great place to be able to communicate. So it's very likely that when you are showing all this warmth and compassion and love, that actually it's not going to be met with a lot of appreciation that you might be hoping for. But if you're going in with that perspective from the beginning, you are going to be able to kind of cope with it all a lot better. And it's just trying to remain rooted in the values of knowing that being compassionate, warm, understanding, loving, you are doing the right thing to support your loved one here. They may not be responding, but you are doing the right thing. And in this moment, maybe that is all that you can do. Number three, one bit of iffy communication can break down connection. Now, I don't want to kind of scare people here because we're all going to do iffy communication. I don't know why I've called it iffy communication. But anyway, we're all going to do communication that's a bit off every day. It's going to happen. We cannot be perfect in our communication, totally unrealistic. But what can often happen is we may have been really investing in the relationship, communicating well, being very dolphin-esque, And then we jump in one day when our anxiety's got a bit too much and we start rhinoing someone and we start going on about weight or food or really putting the laser focus on those things. Now, if your loved one is not in a place where they're ready for change, when you step in in that kind of rhino place, you are going to probably create quite a lot of resistance. And it might mean that your loved one might kind of blank you, block you, not talk to you, push you away and, you know, not want to engage with you. And this is really, really, really hard because then it's quite hard to reach someone to do the Dolphin and St. Bernard skills if they have kind of cut you off because of it's almost like they've got a kind of invisible wall up with the communication. You can't reach them and that can feel really, really frustrating. Now, I want to say to you, You will do iffy communication probably every day. That's okay. It will happen. The really important thing is to notice when you're doing it and to get your head around kind of rupture and repair and communication. So if you find yourself being a bit of a rhino, you can say sorry. 
you can take a step back, you can acknowledge where you've overstepped the mark and said something unhelpful. You can empathize with your loved one's feelings. You know, you can say something like, you know, maybe it feels like I'm just getting on at you all the time about what you're eating and I can see you're not finding that helpful. So just really empathize with them and explain that you're really trying to support them and be helpful, but that sometimes you get it wrong. And this is fantastic modeling of being able to veer off track, gently return to the track and to apologize without becoming defensive. That's all great communication skills that you're modeling. Okay, being able to rupture and repair is a great communication skill and so, so, so helpful because I think someone suffering with an eating disorder will often have a lot of very high standards for themselves. There'll be a lot of perfectionism there and actually seeing that you can model being imperfect, you can say sorry for it, you can come back from it, you can repair the relationship. Great modeling for them because it gives them permission as well to be more in that good enough place rather than striving for perfection. So it's just trying to realize really, if you are in the room with your loved one and you can feel your anxiety building and you're wanting to step in and say something that's really quite rhino-esque, take time away, go for a little walk, just go and have some quiet time away by yourself and then return to that interaction when you are feeling more dolphin-esque, more St. Bernard again, because of when we do step in and say those very kind of rhino or jellyfish-like reactions, it can then just break the communication down and then we're sort of struggling to reach our loved one again, which can be really challenging. Number four, don't be an island in trying to deal with this or yourself. So speak to trusted family or friends who get it. So think it's really important about who you speak to because a lot of people with the best will in the world don't understand eating disorders you know you might speak to someone about concern about your loved one's weight loss and they say oh well they're looking really good or you know because of all the kind of diet culture that we live in so it's really important that you choose carefully who you speak to and you speak to someone in a way who's going to perhaps be understanding of the animal model who's going to appreciate the dolphin skills the St Bernard skills that you're trying to implement and who's not going to become super anxious be really directive like the rhino and encourage you almost up your anxiety to make you feel more anxious than ever so really important don't deal with this all on your own you don't want to be an island but you want to really choose carefully who you share things with so number five look deeper than the surface Now, eating disorders are complex and are often coping strategies for underlying feelings. So try to remember this and try to look deeper than the food and weight. It will appear to be all about food and weight, but there's probably more going on. So if you can, hold space for your loved one to talk as and when they feel ready. And this can be really tricky sometimes because sometimes you can be really in a dolphin-esque St. Bernard mode and they still don't want to talk to you. And that can feel really frustrating because you're trying to offer them that space, but they don't want to take it. But, you know, sometimes you just gonna be have to be like really patient in the background, providing that kind of warm, calm environment. So when they want to talk to you, they can step forward. So as a carer as well, you are not to blame, but you can have a profound impact on supporting your loved one. You are going to see your loved one more than any therapist, doctor, and this means that you can have a profound impact. 
And as carers, we do our best as we try to, you know, support our children, our loved ones, but we make mistakes too. I think it's just really important for all of us try not to be defensive. You know, we're all kind of doing the best we can in life, but stuff goes on in life, doesn't it? You know, we can't help it. Things happen within families, bereavements, losses, big changes, redundancies, transitions, lots goes on, which is going to sometimes impact someone's emotional well-being. That's not anyone's fault. It's just part of life. And I think we don't want to be scared of that as carers and try and avoid it. You know, it's really important just to be open and to acknowledge how things may be impacting someone. That's okay, okay? It's no one's fault. Life happens. And, you know, it's just really important that we can, we don't avoid that really. And we can actually look a bit beneath the surface about what may be going on for that person. And it's really hard sometimes because I think we can have ideas about what might be going on. But unless they actually talk openly to us, we're kind of left guessing. So there could be stuff going on at home, but also we've just had a global pandemic. We have 24-hour social media, which is not very helpful for mental well-being. Young people face so many pressures. And it's not just young people, is it? It's people across all ages. So try to stand in your loved one's shoes and see things from their perspective there are likely some big feelings not being expressed under the ED behaviours. They may not want to open up to you. However, they are much more likely to if you provide the environment of calm, warmth, empathy and acceptance. So if you want to find out more about the new Morsley Animal Model, there is a link in the show notes, but just have a Google of it as well. There's lots of resources online. And remember that being a carer is hard. You need to look after yourself and get support. You'll get it wrong, but you can rupture and repair. Just really hold on to that thought. You can work towards being a dolphin and a St. Bernard. It's a steep learning curve. You're going to get it wrong, but you can do it. So in summary, ground yourself daily with whatever you need to do to get yourself into that calm, more empathetic state. Expect hangriness and irritability from your loved one. They're probably not going to be very responsive. Number three, know that a bit of iffy rhino or jellyfish communication can break things down quite quickly. So if you can feel yourself feeling really anxious and about to say things that are really unhelpful, walk away and come back and approach the situation when you're feeling a bit calmer. And if you do come out and say things that are not helpful, remember you can rupture and repair. Number four, don't be an island, but speak to people that are supportive and who get it and who are understanding okay not helpful to speak to people that are going to praise weight loss talk about their own eating give lots of rhino jellyfish advice which is going to make your anxiety even higher and number five remember that eating disorders are more than about food look below the surface and work to understand the ed more as a coping strategy okay So I hope that's given you some tips and some things to think about. And I just wish everybody out there who is a carer lots of love and support because this stuff is really hard. It's incredibly challenging and it can be emotionally exhausting. So it's really important that you do look after yourself, really up the self-care, really get a good support network around you. So I hope you found this episode helpful. 
you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helped it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.